Hello everybody and a very warm welcome back to the latest episode of the Vinyl Community Podcast. Hello everybody and a very warm welcome back. Today I have the great honor and pleasure to welcome Dave Frankel from Inner Groove Records. Dave, it's a great honor to have you here. Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. Dave, for those who don't know you, maybe you introduce yourself a little bit. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm Dave Frankel. I'm the owner of Inner Groove Records, which is both an independent uh, vinyl-only store in the suburbs of New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia. And I'm also the owner of our little boutique label, Inner Groove Records, which uh, we just did our first release. Yeah, Inner Groove Records was founded last year. Well, no, the, the store has been there since 2015. Yeah, but, but the record label was founded last year, correct? Yes, I started the label last year, exactly. Perfect. So your first uh, release was an absolutely stunning release for Thank me you. because you released, re-released uh, Lim Taylor's You Hear Me Knocking. Um, how did that happen? Uh, a little bit of luck. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of many genres, um, but I have a, a short list, I guess, of probably, well, it's not so short, probably 200 or so funk and soul kind of gems that are sort of lost pieces from 68 to 75, and Lim was one of those records. Um, we were lucky enough to obtain an original copy and a load that we bought from a customer and made my day. So I got home, listened to it, and you know I'd never heard it on vinyl before. I'd just heard some of the YouTube clips out there and kind of fell in love with it from from that. When I, I was able to spin it here at home, you know I was just like, oh my god, this this record is a funk monster. How does nobody nobody you know know about this? Um, so I did some research, and at the time I could not locate anything about Lim Taylor. Um, who you may know is the fourth son of Mabel John, who was one of the Ray Letts, Ray Charles's uh, backup singers. So anyway, most of these projects involve a lot of research, a lot of obituary looking, to be honest, and trying to find out who might own the rights. Is there a tape somewhere? Um, I got very lucky. I narrowed it down quickly to the fact that the label, uh, Crossover Records, was owned by Ray Charles. Uh, he left ABC and started Crossover. There's not a ton of recordings on Crossover, and most of them are Ray Charles 45s. But this album is on there. So, uh, again, through a lot of research, I discovered there's a wonderful foundation in Los Angeles, the Ray Charles Foundation. Um, basically philanthropic. Um, they make a lot of uh, donations to both uh, vision-impaired and hearing-impaired um, charities. So I got in touch with them and I was lucky enough to get a, an email address for the president, Valerie. And I told her, uh, we're this little label. We love this record. Crossover was raised. You own the rights. And she got back to me and said, yeah, we, we do own the rights to it. And I believe we have the tape. <laughs> and, you know, I was just like, oh, my gosh. Um, so uh, to, to cut right down to it, we, we just got lucky that uh, they did indeed have uh, the master tape. Uh, they were willing to license it for a short run like this, and everything came together. Uh, the artwork was much more difficult. Um, they did not own any of the original artwork, so my original was actually uh, high-res scanned, and my wife, as is is an artist, 
she actually cleaned it up digitally and got rid of you know some of the the streaking and and flex in the cardboard and we got incredibly lucky it came out beautiful we had to retype a lot of things on the back um but the project came together um through a lot of luck just a lot of good luck to be honest with you <laughs> so they they found the master tapes. Yes. Do you know how they did? They they made a digital transfer, I guess. Yeah, they so, were not. Yeah, they were not going to let the master out of where it's located, which I understood. Um, it's actually, I'm forgetting the name of the studio. It's a very famous studio in L.A. Uh, why am I forgetting? In any case, they had the tape. Um, I pushed a little bit for an analog to analog copy, but when push came to shove, and this may be a maybe a secret of the industry or maybe not but i'm going to spill it if it if it's a secret most of what you're buying has gone through a digital step um it's just too convenient and too easy and these guys have gotten so good at cutting from digital that i'm not even sure it's a negative anymore and i wouldn't have said that five years ago um but you may be familiar with the whole mobile fidelity blow up and what happened there where they were using dsd transfers and weren't really admitting to it. Um, so in any case, we wound up using um, interlaced files. It was actually a separate left and a separate right channel um, from digital, which is actually how the pressing facility, SunPress in here in uh, Hialeah, Florida, wanted to work on it too. So it was made from master tape to digital uh, to uh, lacquer, et cetera, yeah. Do you know if they found any outtakes or alternative versions from that session? Uh, you know, it's a great question. Um, I never asked, nor did they say, but maybe I'll go back at them. That, that's a great point you make. <laughs> that's and maybe you, they have two tracks left or you could do a single. I, you know, I, I never asked and you know, we actually went through a bit of a, a charade on the master because initially they sent me files that were just left channel. I sent them over to uh, SunPress and they got back to me and said, these are just left channel. So I had to go back to them and get the rights. And But they're wonderful to work with in the end. And that's a great question. I, I will probably email Tina. Uh, it's Village Studios in LA uh, and see if uh, if there is something. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to put it out. Yeah. So for, for those who look for an original, if you find one, it's like a couple of hundred dollars if you find one. Uh, yeah, pricing on an original, you know, a, a, a very good plus copy is probably in the four to 500 range now. Um, you know, in reality, it was a little label, didn't get much promotion. I don't know that any of these songs got any radio play at the time. So yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough get, tough get. Do you have more information on Lim Taylor? Could you reach out to his family? Could you surprise them with a reissue? Um, sadly, we learned that he passed away last year. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Um, he, um, I, I'm in contact with a big soul collector also in Europe, and she actually confirmed that she had spoken to a family member because I found an obituary that I thought was probably him. And she confirmed that, yes, another family member had said, indeed, it was, which is so sad because uh, he literally missed the reissue maybe by six or eight months to be able to get one into his hands and, and maybe talk to the guy, you know? Hmm. Yeah. 
So back in the day, there were so many uh, great artists. For example, I'm a huge fan of her, and it took me 20 years to find an original as Barbara Haywood. Oh, yeah, not an easy record either. That's, yeah. <laughs> no, 20 years. I oh, yeah. flown to Vegas to pick it up. Well, you're so, kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted this so bad. So and and coming back to this, uh, when when Coalmine did the reissue, there mm. weren't any master tapes left. There was nothing. So what they did was a needle drop. Yeah. And the sound from the needle drop is better than the original pressing. I believe so, it. Um, uh, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of info. We're yeah, I've got three other projects kind of all hopefully coming together at this point. And there's a decent chance that one will definitely, one for sure will be a needle drop. And uh, I've already done the, the process um, and the files came out amazing. I, I can't believe how good they came out. So yes, it's possible. Yeah. So just because it's digital doesn't mean it's bad. And uh, I, it's very important to point that out. I did an uh, interview with Dan Johnson, who is a, a, a remastering a person who does all tape remastering for all the major labels. Oh. And he said, sometimes I have a tape and I know this is a one shot. So because there is, uh, they are sticky and they're way too old and I have to do a digital transfer and otherwise I can't save the tape. I can do this one time and then I have to stop. So, um, yeah, no, he's right on the money. Um, I, you know, I'm not at that level, but I have several reel-to-reel uh, -reel machines and I, I'm, I'm into that and yes sticky shed syndrome is very real very real so i can only say if if the original is sometimes not possible to reach because of price uh, or because of rarity um, a reissue which is done from a digital file or a needle drop is not to say it has a worst sound or anything like this so like i said with the barbara haywood the reissue yeah. sounds better than the original really? so i would always say give it a shot well, you know, I compared, when I received our test pressings, I compared the test press right to the original that I have. And uh, almost unbelievably, I, I thought that the original maybe had a little bit more spaciousness to it, in a sense. But I thought our reissue actually had almost a wider soundstage, in a sense. The instrument seemed a little further pressed out and it was pleasant it was good so look you never know what can happen and a lot of these guys like i think you said dan his name is these are experts and uh they can make a lot of things sound very good yeah i'm so happy that you choose because uh i'm i'm into soul and disco and having like rare soul albums being reissued yeah. is a pain in the ass <laughs> because it's not being done you have a kind of blue like a couple of hundred versions and reissues uh yeah. led zeppelin reissues tons and tons and tons but when it comes to soul and disco it's so hard and that's why i was so pleased to finally see a label doing this oh that's awesome thank you well the next uh, we're not stuck just doing one genre you know there's a, mm -hmm. another project i'm working on that's straight up 70s progressive rock um, but I will say the, the three that I'm closest with in terms of actually getting it uh, over to be pressed are all funk soul and you're all and you're going to drop your jaw when you see what a couple of them are. Yeah. Oh, can you can you give us a little hint? Uh, well, um, 
You know, the one that I thought would come first is probably now going to come last. So I'm going to put that on the back burner. Um, um, I don't want to, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's hard because in one case, the licensing agreement is signed. The other two, we're still going back and forth on number of, of you know, physical units and this and what, and what have you. Um, it, I don't know. It's hard for me. I'd love to tell you, but I, I, I don't know that I'm really in that position yet. I'll say one of them uh, is a, about as rare a soul slash jazz record that exists. Originals go for thousands of dollars. And somehow, by the grace of God, I found the guy's son. So. Wow. Yeah. 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 I'm actually supposed to talk to him more later today. So, uh, you know, in, in so many cases, the original, you know, these artists are, are either 70, 85 years old or, or they're sadly, you know, no longer with us. So a lot of this work really centers on trying to find, you know, who might be a rights holder on this obscure, you know, they pressed a thousand copies in 1971. So you can see for every project that kind of, comes together and oh gosh i think we're actually getting this done there's at least uh, 200 that i'm just dead end with there's just nowhere to, yeah nobody's emerged as a likely licensee and uh we're not going to do anything that isn't isn't licensed how can i imagine a licensing process so you go to the the rights holder if you find them if you find yeah. them and sometimes if it's a family estate i can imagine it's more difficult but how can I imagine this process? Um, you know, it, it, it varies. Some are, are you know, like the, there's one I'm working on that I was lucky enough to find the grandniece, the grandniece of the gentleman who owned the record label, um, who was a, a gentleman by the name of Paul Gayton, G-A-Y-T-E-N, who was an artist in his own right in the 40s and 50s and then became much more of a producer. Um, how did I find this grandniece? Uh, his obituary led me to his wife's obituary, led me to survivors, led me to, you know, anyway. Um, so if I'm able to get in, that, in touch with that person directly, explain what we're doing, confirm that yes, they're, you know, through a trust or an estate, they would be the person most likely to hold rights. It's not so hard, but other times, yeah, when you're dealing with outside entities and, and what have you, you know, I don't know. I'll be very honest with you. You know, it. Uh, Lynn Taylor is the first one under my belt. I'm still learning as I go. <laughs> oh, you did a fantastic job. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So the, the first release, as far as I read it, is a limited edition to 500. I think 200 were colored and 300 were black vinyl, correct? Well, here's, 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 here's how that happened. Um, and again, just sort of coincidence luck. You know, once I'd obtained the rights and, and the tape, I wanted to get it pressed. Even though our store is in New Jersey, I'm actually speaking to you and I live in Florida. Um, I have a guy that runs the daily operations of the store up in New Jersey, Steve, who does a great job. And I concentrate kind of more on the label side of it. So I wanted to find it uh, a place that would maybe press locally. So I encountered Sun Press, I emailed them. They got back to me and said that they were sorry, but they were just acquired by Project M. Project M is a conglomerate that owns Brooklyn Vegan, Goldmine, three or four metal-oriented sites and publications. So they had just been acquired by Project M, and they were only pressing for Project M. 
So I said, oh, I appreciate it. Could you recommend anybody in the area? I have a very rare soul funk record. And he got back to me, Rich, his name is, and he said, well, you sparked my interest. What is this? So I told him what it was, and he took it to the Goldmine people, and they wanted to partner on it. So that's how that came about. So, yes, you're correct. 500 copies numbered sequentially, so there's no break in the number between black and pink. Um, one to 300 are black, 180 gram sold by us in our store and on our website, innergroovrecords.com. And 200, numbers 301 to 500, are pink, 140 gram sold on Goldmine and now on Brooklyn Vegan as well. I don't know what they have left. We're down to about 50 copies of the black. Wow. Yeah, it's done. There's been a lot of excitement. And uh, I think everybody just digs this record. You know, even if you're not like a funk person, you know, I've had people tell me I'm not a big soul funk guy, but man, I love this record. So that was really cool. Yeah, because on YouTube, you, you don't find the whole album. You find like two songs from that album. It's that rare. So and I was hoping when you did the release that at least on Spotify or somewhere that I could download the album and listen to it entirely. But that's mm -hmm. also not possible. So actually, my only chance to listen to this album is getting an original for a couple of hundred dollars if I find one or get your reissue. Yeah. Yeah, um, we haven't done any streaming or digital on it. Not not because I have anything against it, simply because, you know, um, I, I didn't really um, negotiate for rights to do that. I negotiated to release 500 vinyl records, so um, I'm not going to overstep my bounds on that. Um, but I will tell you, um, I think I, have, I must have your email, but if not, send me your email. I'll send you the WAV files that the record was made from directly. Oh, that would be awesome. Sure. I've done it for a few people. No problem. No, no charge. Just, you know, enjoy it. And if somebody decides to put the whole thing up somewhere, okay, I'm just not going to do it because, again, I didn't I didn't. No, no, no. <laughs> Everybody's getting in huge trouble doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's why I don't mess with any of that stuff either. A, yeah. I have no real love for it, and B, I'm just not, uh, uh, yeah, it's not my forte. No. Yeah. Once the 500s are gone, your yeah. licensing ends with 500. Is there a chance for people to get a record afterwards? Maybe you do a repress. There's always that possibility. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Um, I don't think I'd have any problem doing it if, if, the, if the need is there. Sure. And maybe we do it just to differentiate uh, in a different color or, or splatter wax or something i mean i'm not really against colors or splatter but i'm kind of an old school guy like i'd rather have black 180 to be honest with you that would, that would exactly be my next question because there's always these these legend at least from back in the day from the 70s and especially when you have uh, records with metallic look like gold metallic silver metallic that they are more noisy so I was surprised to, to, to hear that, but I've talked to some owners from record plants that told me that the material nowadays is way better than back in the day. So colored vinyl is, is almost equal to black. No, I think they're right. Uh, it's picture discs that you want to avoid. Those are yes. clearly oh my gosh. inferior, but they tell you even, I mean, if you look even at the packaging back in the 70s and 80s, most of them on the back will actually have a disclaimer telling you this is not going to sound as good as the non-picture disc version. But they're right. Um, there are a lot of colored that I own and um, 
I don't hear a, a sound difference. I just, um, I just think it's gimmicky, uh, you know, a little bit. I mean, it, it's cool what Goldmine did because they, the pink they chose, they got it very close to the logo on the cover. So I thought it came out really cool. But again, the, the, what we arranged was that the blacks would be 180 and the pinks would be 140 um, because I do feel it might be a slightly different customer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is, which is cool. You know, both ways, great. Um, if you want the ultimate sound, you, you want the black 180. Yeah, uh, Wallace Graham did also uh, a compilation, uh, The Soul of New Jersey. Yes. And what surprised me was that he also did it on 180 gram. Actually, this is not happening very often if you have uh, reissues like this. So I was very, very surprised when he, he chose that. And I was so lucky when you said that you did that. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, we know each other and I just brought in about 10 copies of that record into our store because I loved it so much. Yeah, it's a great, a great. Oh. Uh, yeah, great work. <laughs> great work by him, too, because now you're talking about licensing several different artists. So great work. Mm. Yeah. I love Storm. She no. comes up. Oh, okay. my God. Yeah. That oh, that was fantastic. There's no, there's nothing weak on it. I, I was knocked out by it. I, I was like, and then it's funny, he wasn't aware of our Lynn Taylor issue. I, it's funny, I became aware of his of his New Jersey comp. Um, I don't remember how, and I emailed him and said, yeah, I'd love to bring in a couple of these for our for our retail store. And then I mentioned you may be interested in in this reissue we just did. So I told him what it was. He said, hell yeah. Uh, I said I'll send you a copy. You know and. He he emailed me and like everybody else was like, I love this record. <laughs> so um, I guess it's a smaller circle than we realize sometimes. Do you think there's a difference in sound quality with thicker or thinner vinyl between 140 to 180 gram? I'm not sure there's a difference in audio quality, but there's um, th there's definitely a difference in um, the ability to sort of withstand things, if you know what I mean. I mean, I'm an audiophile. I, I, I'm standing next to Manly tube amps and VPI turntables, and my Wilson Watt speakers are right here and, and all that. But um, I drop a record once in a while on the floor. Um, I'm not sure the sound is the difference, but the durability is nice. And I also think once you set up your, uh, your tracking and everything correctly on your table, um, I don't know. 180 seems to just track more firmly, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But sound-wise, no, look, there are vintage records that are 140 and even less that can sound, you know. Dynaflex. Dynaflex, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, Dynaflex has the, uh, the, 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 the all-time prize for being the flimsiest record ever made, though. And uh, the catalogs of some great artists, David Bowie, Lou Reed, or you know, uh, Dynaflex, unfortunately. Yeah, but you know what? I've never had a Dynaflex which was ever warped. I think you're right. It's because they're so flexible to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, though. It's not, it, if it, it, you don't find one where it's like, oh, I better put it in the, you know, in the warp, we have a, like a warp machine, a heat thing. Mm -hmm. with these, uh, I forget it's called vinyl flat in the store. You're right. I don't think we've ever done it to a Dynaflex. That's true. See, there's an upside to everything. Absolutely. Dave, do you have some Grail records in your collection? Um, of course. You know, my collection here at my house is about, I don't know, six or 7,000 
plus whatever's in the garage that I haven't gotten to. Um, I have a lot of jazz grails. I'm a big blue note guy. So, yeah, I have a, a lot of first pressing mono Lexingtons, etc. Those are probably my most prized possessions. Um, Sonny Rollins. I love Jackie McLean. To me, the most underrated saxophone guy. Uh, I put him right there with Coltrane. Um, you know, McCoy Tyner, a lot of blue notes. Um, and there are some other things that might surprise you that I consider sort of grails. Um, you know, there's a few things uh, reggae-wise that I have. I have some dub plates and what have you that are incredibly rare. Uh, I met a gentleman six years ago in the store, uh, Mr. Ian Johnson, who uh, managed and ran the Trojan store in Brixton and was now living in New Jersey and had brought his whole collection with him when he moved to New Jersey 25 years ago and was now 78 years old and liquidating some of it. And he brought me in a box of stuff that I can't even describe to you what was in there. So we had a really nice relationship for about a month. He brought me a box in every week. I didn't even look at what's in there. I just gave him the same amount of money he asked for for each box. And some of the things in there are things I'll never part with. Yeah. So I know you're looking for titles, but when you have this many pieces here, gosh, it's, it's tough to say, but a lot, a lot of incredibly rare reggae stuff. And uh, yeah, the Blue Note stuff is very, very close to my heart. In, in, in Europe, we have now a kind of discussion about pricing of original pressings that they kind of skyrocket. Um, do you think that there's a pot like Led Zeppelin, Dark Side of the Moon, UK first pressing is now between $1,200 or $4,000? And uh, like really? I've never seen it that high. Four grand? Yes. Wow. Most of the fir first UK Dark Sides I see sell $600 to $1,000, but I don't know. Maybe I haven't seen one in a while. I, I'll, I'll let you finish your question, but I think I know how to answer it. <laughs> so, so what's what is your opinion about the the pricing, especially for rare records? Um, do you think that they will go down in some time, anytime soon, or ever, or do you think they will keep up? I think you have to look at it as any other collectible. Um, in the seventies and eighties, baseball cards and, and sports cards in general were very hot, and then we had the Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, Melee, which for people who don't know about it, basically one of the trading card companies lied about how many they made and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the whole hobby went to hell. Now you see it's crawling back. Um, look, the things that we collect are not going to be the things that that's my DA converter going crazy. Hold on. All right. The things that we collect are not the things our parents collected are not the things our children will likely collect. So will records always go up? No. No, of course not. In, you know, Elvis Presley is a great example. Are there any Elvis records worth any money? Yeah, the first the LP first without, yeah, the first the first LP without the song titles on the front and the Sun singles. That's it. Well, the rest of it used to have some, you know, collectability and value. So no, I don't, I don't think it'll continue to. It, it won't always be worth X and Y and Z. But certain things like, yeah, Floyd Zeppelin, Beatles. There's always going to be a market for that. Have prices gotten out of hand? I think in some cases, yes. But I also think that, um, look, a lot of uh, 
a lot of things are at the point where we're really talking about dwindling numbers in, in good shape. Right before I got in this call with you, um, I picked up two Nina Simone records from somebody I know here. And I've never seen them in this good a shape ever. Um, will people care about Nina Simone in 100 years? Gee, I don't know. Um, but when you're talking about prime examples, I mean solid near mint, near mint. I think those will always go up. I think great condition should go up, deserves to go up. What I don't understand sometimes is when you have a, I mean, a current VG, VG copy of Metallica Ride the Lightning is worth 80 bucks or something, and I don't understand that. Um, I understand a near mint one being worth 200 though. So mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's all about condition. I don't collect and I don't understand collecting things in less than VG plus or better. So I think that pricing is fair. It's some of the lower end, lower end copies that get decent money that really surprises me. Mm. Yeah. But it's also, I think, with the Robert Ludwig mix of Led Zeppelin, like many people go crazy for, and even a VG copy um, goes for like $300, a VG copy. We, we, we've sold a few, I'm not going to lie to you. We, we've also sold a, a near mint for... Probably only about 600 because it was uh, maybe three, four years ago before the craze really got nutty on the RL cut. Look, it's a great cut. If you have a, a great system, it'll knock your socks off. Um, there's a few white label promo RLs I've seen that are going for crazy money. But then again, how many white label promo first Ludwig cuts are still out there, right? Can't, can't be that many. Yep. Yeah, so it's kind of a specialty item. Um, yeah. yeah. The funny thing is, Ludwig cut most of the Houses of the Holy. They're not worth anything special, yet I, every once in a while I'll see somebody uh, on Facebook Marketplace or elsewhere advertising their rare Robert Ludwig Houses of the Holy for $400. I'm just like, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. So, in conclusion, we say if you have uh, like VG Plus near mint record, which is uh, not so common, uh, a rare record, the price will go up. Well, no, I think if you're if you're if you're not in that at least VG Plus category, I don't see why the money should be huge, unless it's yep. uber 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 rare. You yeah. know, um, who who wants to play a crackly copy of anything? People who love Zamrock, for example, or Falakuti. Yeah, well, the, I'm very into a lot of the Nigerian stuff. Um, yeah. There's a band called Blow, B-L-O, and the Funkies. Mm. You can't find those originals. Um, they're Nigerian, and they don't exist. But there's a couple labels. There's Analog Africa and uh, PMG, I think, is the other one. Mm. Have done an amazing job reissuing these things. Um, you're never going to find originals of artists like that in good shape simply because of the countries they were made in, the living conditions, the heat conditions, right? It's just, you're not going to. So that's probably worth every penny if you find near mint uh, fella stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And also you have to consider near mint fella stuff also means that you see some ring wear because otherwise it's okay because I've heard that they use the sleeves sometimes to... Uh, 
shut down the window or to make uh, sure that uh, yeah, I don't know from some repairing for the house. I've seen uh, a, a Zamrock racket. I think it was Witch Two. The cover was totally beaten up. There was just a tiny little bit of the original cover left. Wow. The record was warped as hell. It sounded like you were in a sandstorm, and it was five hundred dollar. Yeah, yeah. See that I don't quite understand, but to each his own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's just that's just I mean pricing in general. We we I will say this. We've actually in the store um lowered some prices over the last six to twelve months simply because uh Steve and I had talked about the fact that we couldn't believe I'll give you an example, Fleetwood Mac rumors. You know how many of these are out there? That's a that's a fifteen dollar record all day long. People mm -hmm. selling it for twenty five and thirty and thirty five dollars out of their minds. Uh, there's so many of them. So I'll admit for a while there, we were probably up at 25 on it because that's what the market was bearing. And I, I said to Steve, I said, you know what? Put, put it back to 15 bucks. We get these in every collection we buy. Um, makes no sense that it should be a $30 record. Um, I do think you're going to see some of that. You know, some of these more common, huge titles, uh, Super Tramp, Breakfast in America. That, again, it's a $10, $12 record. There's so many out there. You should not be paying more than 15 tops. Um, I think you'll see some prices starting to tumble with, with that stuff. But I think the, the rare, the cream of the crop, the audiophile, the odd, that'll probably stay, you know, I think where it is in terms yeah. of uh, pricing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so too. Because the Barbara Haywood, I won't find this record for 20 bucks on the dollar bin. No, you won't. Well, unless you get very, very lucky. Very lucky. <laughs> yeah, they were pressed, I think, 590, 70, and 30 are known to be in existence. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's tough stuff. Yeah. Tough stuff. Yeah, that's, a great, that's a great find there. Yeah, my, flew, my, my. You flew to pick it up. Wow. <laughs> yes. Because the guy said, I'm not shipping to Germany. And I said, okay, uh, so what, go, what are we going to do? And I said, no, I, then I can't sell it to you. And I was like, are you crazy? I'm, I'm looking for 20 years now for this record, and it's in a very good condition. So I said, you know what? I'm flying to Vegas and pick it up myself. <laughs> I love that story. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a trip. That was a very interesting uh, trip. But, yeah, th those are the rare things. My holy grail is the topics giving up. This is from the TSG label, which was okay. in the in the yeah. late seventies, a Texcom label. Yeah. This record, this is always it, it's horrible. I can't find it. That TSG is the one. They have two or three that are just impossible. Um, I can see the cover, but I can't remember the name of the artist. It's like a woman's face on the front. On one yeah, they them. always have a woman's face on the front. Um, yeah. This is badass from TSG. This is a great one. I have to put glasses on to possibly see that on my iPhone here. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah, that's, I know that's a crazy label. And a lot of those tax scams, yeah. I find Guinness records every once in a while here. It, they yeah. must have been in the South because I never found them up North, but now that I live down here, I've run into a couple of, of Guinness records. Um, they must have been like Florida or Georgia based. Um, but it's interesting, and I'll buy a tax scam record even if it's worth nothing, uh, just to have it because they're so interesting. Absolutely, you find some crazy stuff uh, on there. Yeah. So the, 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 most of the time, the music on it is absolutely fascinating. 
Yeah, it runs the gamut. I have a country one that I'll never listen to it, but it, it you know, uh, it, it's tax scam, and I just put it in my oddities section. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fun so stuff, great. That's what makes the hobby so much fun sometimes, too, though. Yeah. All, the, all the weirdness. Yeah. Yeah, and and often you find very cheap records, and they they have great material on it. So just because a record is expensive doesn't mean it's been good. You also find some great stuff on cheap records. That's very true. Do you, have you ever heard of Damien and the Criterions? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they were Atlantic City, and I used to live very near Atlantic City. I found all three of them. They're still in my collection. Are they listenable? Are they utterly fascinating? Oh, yeah. 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 It's like crazy synth work uh, combined with Italian Giglio music. It, it's just words can't describe it. Is there some, some recommendations you could make for like three records? You would say uh, doesn't matter what genre it is. You could recommend for people out there. Uh I'll give you, you know, there. I'll go back to the Nigerian, the Funkies, F-U-N-K-E-E-S. The album is called Now I'm a Man. Um, PMG or PMC, I forget the name of the label, did reissue it. That's what I have. You'll never find an original. I think you could still find it on Discogs or on their site probably for 30, I don't know, 40 bucks. Fantastic, psychedelic Nigerian funk rock just a badass record through throughout um gosh that's so hard to three um you know in that same vein the band blow blo another nigerian also they have a couple albums that have also been recently in the last five years reissued amazing psych nigerian funk jazz just reggae combines everything um and i'll give a a, a I'll say this because I'm a huge fan of what I believe is one of the most underappreciated artists in the history of music. And it, it won't be underappreciated to you, I bet. But I'm an enormous Gil Scott Heron fan. And I'm amazed how many people don't know who Gil was or anything about him except the revolution will not be televised. And the message would, is great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would recommend picking up Winner in America, um, if nothing else. And frankly, I, I I don't think there's a bad record in his catalog. I'm, he's one guy I always wanted to see and never got to see before he left us. Um, so I'm going to say anything by Gil Scott Heron. If you dig poetry, if you dig jazz, reggae, funk, there's so much going on there. You, you will really like uh, what, what Gil did. Yeah. So blanket, blanket A plus for, for Gil Scott Heron. Yeah, and he worked with the, so he came out of the scene from The Last Poets. Mm -hmm. and Which I'm not as big a fan of. The Last Poets is fun, but it gets yeah. redundant. So, and yeah. what I really liked about Gil is when he started, he just had the bongos and doing his, his, his poetry. Yep. And the, the thing I admire at him, he can do kind of poetry rap, and he can also sing very well. A lot of people consider him the true godfather of rap. I don't know if that's true. Certainly there was spoken word before Gil, but he contributed something to it. I'll, I'll, I'll see, I, I can see that much, yeah. But yeah, the guy could do everything. I mean, and the albums he made with Brian Jackson, uh, another guy who people, who, who, who's Brian Jackson? You don't know who Brian Jackson is, really? Like, great stuff, great stuff.
Yeah, they worked for a couple of albums together, and they, yeah. they really did great. It's great stuff. And uh, even the last album he made, uh, which is called I'm New Here, and it's got a very different production style, very modern hip-hop-y production style. Um, but, you know, go look at the video for the song I'm New Here, and it'll make you smile and kind of break your heart at the same time. Yeah, but when I, what I also think is that the stuff he made in the 70s is as relevant as it was back then as it is today. A lot could be said. I, well, getting back to Lynn Taylor, one of the songs that the last track, The World's in a Bad Situation. Boy, that, you know, the first time I ever heard that, it kind of rang true. Is You know, if this came out today, it, it yeah, it makes perfect sense. And um, yeah, yeah we, we face a lot of the same social economic problems, especially you know, among inner cities and what have you. And that I, the music is timeless. It really is. Yeah. Awesome. Especially here in America. I don't know about in Germany, but here we, we face those issues. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we, we've seen uh, pictures in the news of the state where in, in Philadelphia, like Zombie City and where people living in tents and all of this, that there's a huge cries on that. Yeah. Well, I'm originally from Philadelphia. Um, my heart will always beat Philadelphia, but yes, that city is one of many that have a lot of problems with uh, with open air drug market stuff. And uh, Philadelphia just got a new mayor, though. Um, she's a black woman, and she says she wants to clean it up. And I, I really, uh, I'm rooting for her. Yeah. Well, yeah. These are I was tough just in Europe recently, but not in Germany. I, unfortunately, I miss Germany. But uh, I was just in Europe in October. Uh, we were in Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, and uh, to me, uh, America's, you know, and I was not strictly just in touristy areas, areas. Um, America's far worse from what I saw. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah, that's the, that's a big e epidemic happening, but also it's it's, it's spreading also in, in Europe. I think every country has its challenges and its issues and its problems, and no country is perfect. No, that's true. But boy, we, we really like the south of France, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me Tom, too, right? Tom is beautiful. Wow, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it is. Yeah. Awesome. Dave, thank you so much for your oh, time. You. Before I forget, do you know when your next releases are coming out? Um, it, I don't have exact dates, but in, in the calendar year of 24, I think we're going to have three if they all come together. I hope the first will be as early as April, but um, it's hard to say. Best thing is just, you know, follow along on, on our website, uh, which is, you know, innergroovrecords.com. One of the pages you can click on is the label, it says. So the main page is more about the store. And if you click on the label on the tab to the left, that takes you to our releases. There you'll see a bunch of info about Lim Taylor and the ability to order it. And as we move ahead in these other projects, all that info will go up on the website. So it's the best place to check. I'm not the best at social media, but I, I try with Instagram and Facebook. I can't figure out TikTok. I tried and I just died. <laughs> yeah, I, me I too. It's horrible. I, I don't know how to. I can follow other what other people are doing, but to actually post on it and have it, no, no, it didn't work. <laughs> so for everybody who's watching, I'll put the link for the store in the description so you oh, can right. check out and order directly from the website, your limb tailor, as long as it's there. As long as it's there, I've got a couple copies behind me, and I, we're down, I think, to about 50-something right now. Um, it, it's done really well, and it's been just a, a joy of a project. And 
fantastic to talk to people like yourselves and we we were blessed to get uh two write-ups in goldmine magazine analog planet wrote us up um it's been great it's just been a fun ride and we're uh, looking forward to the next couple coming out awesome dave once again thank you so much for your time thank you We do hope that you enjoyed our latest interview and stay tuned for other exciting episodes here on the Vinyl Community Podcast. 